All right, welcome back to the Equipped Brews Tired podcast. Uh, this week it's going to be a little bit of a different episode. Uh, Bryce and I are just going to talk and uh, go through some uh, listener questions we we asked about. So uh, a little bit of a Q&A episode and uh, just more of a relaxing, you know, Saturday morning chat. Although by the time you listen to this, it'll be Monday morning. But for us, it's Saturday morning. So yeah. uh, Bryce, how's, uh, how's life in Calgary? Uh, it's not bad. It's not bad at all. So uh, the heat wave finally kind of broke yesterday. We got a bunch of rain. It was like at most 20 degrees. So again, just uh, you know, baby's first summer is a 120. I'm just getting used to how all this uh how all this goes, how all this feels. All the uh, sweat feels. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a sweaty summer. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, chatted with Mike about the next block i've signed up for provincials to try to give myself a little bit of something to uh kind of work towards um and that's end of september right yeah september 25th weekend somewhere around there anyways i think it's 24th to 26th but there's uh there's four equipped lifters signed up there are two in my two in my category though so there's me and one other guy is that jason uh no it's this guy brian he was a 105 oh, for a long time yeah. i think he's training with chain right now yeah Kra- kravitsov or krav kravsov or something i wasn't gonna try it it's it's almost worse than yours <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah so at least there's two of us um but yeah training's been been uh kind of up and down and kind of all over the place since the end of the last block and some struggles with the hip there and some of those kinds of things so just uh trying to get it back on track trying to feel compelled to train again uh, there's just not a lot of uh yeah like at this point in my career it's kind of like for me it's kind of about just competing against the best that are out there and that's where sort of all my big goals and motivations lie and it, it is the competition that i crave at this point still so to kind of just have that indefinitely canceled has been uh, has been an interesting thing to try to to wrestle with so hopefully provincials and the thought of uh you know just putting up some cool numbers maybe is enough to motivate me or get me back on track in some way shape or form so i'll be back in equipment next week which is kind of exciting and doing some doing some cool stuff hopefully and hopefully those 15 kilos i put on my raw bench will translate to like a 300 kilo equipped bench that'd be pretty cool yeah high hopes i've got high hopes <laughs> that's what really matters as long as you have something to look forward to yeah how about you man uh you know it's uh still training raw um slowly trying to build up capacity in um my adductors i guess mm-hmm. so doing minimal squatting and deadlifting but actually doing it which is which is better than doing only single leg work so step in the right direction yeah uh and then for my single leg of choice this block i've been doing uh lateral lunges which are just as horrible as i remember them being the last time i yeah. did them so like and you're doing them you're like these aren't so bad like these are pretty good and then the yeah. next day you're like holy man these are not good like <laughs> yeah. i'm not walking upstairs and i think we so. had a conversation about those before 
and mm-hmm. I was telling you how in order to move my foot from the gas pedal to the brake pedal, my leg was like quivering <laughs> because my adductors were so spent from those. Those yeah. are those are rough, yeah. Yeah, so uh, it's been good. Um, really hoping to push my raw bench here and try and take a crack yeah. at two twenty seven and a half here and yeah. uh, four more weeks or so, I guess. So that's uh, a lot of incline in this block, which tends to, I think it works for me, but it definitely leaves my shoulders a little bit achier. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, we'll see. I, I'm I'm hoping that it's all going to add up to two twenty seven and a half at the end, but. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been fun. I'm I'm so like I'm around everyone who's in gear again because yeah. as soon as we started training together, everyone wanted to get back into gear. So right. everyone's been back in gear, and I'm like, oh, just be the be the smart guy and just do the raw work. <laughs> doesn't matter if you have the gear on right now because it's probably not going to Norway. So trying to, trying to be that guy, hey? Yeah, get, trying to be the, the adult. Itch, though, I imagine. Yeah, it's yeah for sure. Especially bench shirt, like I don't need to put a squat suit on. <laughs> right. Really, not not looking forward to that again. But uh, <laughs> it's funny how the the further out you go from it, the more you dread it. I think um, it's been now f- almost five months, I guess. And Some now I'm like, oh yeah. boy, yeah, I don't really want to do that. That doesn't sound fun. But bench shirt sounds fun. So, but here's here's the thing, man. Like when I put that when I put that uh, big suit on and did my my straps down work that day, just kind of as a one off. I didn't want to get in the suit either. And then I got in and was like, oh, this is why I love this. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It definitely uh, it definitely feels real good once you get it on. Yeah. I mean, the legs might feel a little hamburger-like afterwards, but... Yeah, yeah. But, uh, and the knees, if you're using certain gripper knee wraps. Although, apparently, I, I blew a few minds last week by saying, or two weeks ago, when I said that you could just flip them inside out. Yeah. And put the grip on the outside. Like... <sighs> yeah. <laughs> And Classic it's funny because Tim and Eric brain exploding gift. Yeah. yeah. But that was certainly not my invention. That's just uh, something I picked up from watching some Russians back in the day. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. To be fair, I used the titanium wraps. So I was, right. I was, I really babied myself that first session back. Yeah, I think I have a pair of signature wraps, golds so. I might start messing with. Play around with those heading into provincials. See if I can get to the point where the wraps are broken in enough, and where I'm good enough to give myself a solid self wrap with those. Because what do you usually wear? THPs. THPs, yeah, historically. Oh, yeah, right. See, I don't know. Like I, so I don't have a lot of experience with Titan wraps, but um, I wrapped someone at a training session, and they're using THPs, and literally they're new. And I was like, man, these are like, these are like cutting my hands. Yeah, brand new them. ones or like, just literal cardboard. It's crazy. Like the edges of them felt so sharp. I'm like, how could you put it on your legs? Give me grippers any day. After like two wraps, though, there, there's like a very distinct breaking in of, right. of the material. And I had, I have a lifter who, when I switched to THPs, uh, gave him my old signature golds because he was looking for some wraps. And he's used them now to the point where I was, I think I wrapped him. This is probably four or five months ago now but i remember thinking oh i feel like i could actually like these feel like i might like them <laughs> so i think you just kind of got to get past that like break-in period with the titan wraps which is right. very real very real yeah i think a lot of wraps actually are, are kind of like that um i know um like grippers will some people like them brand new but i like them like a few 
four, five, six uses in. They mm -hmm. kind of just have a little bit more give, and you get a little extra wrap out of them. And yeah, have you seen have you seen Eric Gunham's uh, THPs? There's no. another guy we should get on here. Yeah, uh, he calls them he calls them as bacon strips because <laughs> they're, they're all so weird. used. Like the elastic is blown out, and they're just yeah. they just look like bacon strips. And he's like, man, I can get two to three more wraps, like two to three more revolutions with these old ass blown out THPs that I've used for 10 years and he loves them. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, if you put them on tight enough, really, I don't know if it really matters. Yeah. Like, I think there's probably like a, like a critical stretch yeah. where it past that point or up to that point is kind of, you know, it's just all the same. Yeah. Yeah. So that's good. You get back in the gear and have something to train for. That's, about eight weeks out now? Yeah, I think... Can't be too many. Seven weeks. So normally my dev blocks are six, but I have a traditional taper, and usually my first week back is pretty... Uh, pretty laissez-faire. You know? I'll take it a little... Take it a little easy on that first week back. Right. But... Hopefully it all works out. I'd like to hit some like just some like moderate kind of two and a half kilo PRs. You know, Mayhar we, we all just hope for that, don't we? Yeah. Mayhar's like, man, 420, 320, 420, just do it, send it. And I'm like, man, no. Nobody yeah. thinks like that. You're the only one. <laughs> yeah, but that is he. And now we're talking about Mayhar on the podcast, which I know, swore we never I know, do. I know. It's already <laughs> happened once before, though. I feel like uh, we, we admitted defeat in the first episode, didn't we? He was at the Arnold, and he didn't go all out. like so. Yeah. The yeah. Arnold with, I mean, I'm not going to say the refing is loose, but compared to something like Nationals, it's, it's much less uh, stringent, I would say. Mm-hmm. Which he was at instead of nationals. So, and then he went all easy peasy with like five kilo jumps on his deadlift. Yeah, a lot of talk. A lot of talk. Yeah, geez. Will I cut this out? I don't know. <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> it's a very, very like, uh, very northern sounding of you. Oh, there. geez. Yeah. Oh, geez. Um, when do you think you'll get back in gear? Uh, I guess you have aspirations. Um, have you started yeah. thinking about like what our future might look like in terms of uh, in terms of all this stuff? Because I just heard some admission there that you you don't you you don't seem so confident about Norway anymore. Well, or maybe think, it's just Rhea that's still really confident about Norway. So she's hopeful, maybe. she's training as if it's happening, mm -hmm. which makes sense for her. Totally. Obviously, yeah. I agree. Um, for me, if I compete there and get seventh place. I mean, who cares? <laughs> okay. I've gotten seventh place at Worlds before or better, so it doesn't really matter. Um, but I think right now the biggest issue is that I think uh, if you travel to Norway, you have to self-quarantine for 10 days. When you get there. And, yeah. Yeah. So that's, I don't know how you finish your peak or your taper with a 10-day quarantine, which I assume you won't have your gym in your... <laughs> yeah. In your Airbnb or whatever you're in. So. Yeah. And when you come home, that's two weeks, right? Two weeks, yeah. From international travel. So you're like, you're looking at taking like a month off of functioning. Yeah. Which, I mean, like luckily with, with our businesses, it's mm -hmm, not mm -hmm. terrible. Like, yeah. Uh, for the first, I would say for the first month of this whole thing, we basically, we didn't go to our business. 
we let our employees kind of do it. We tried to keep distance just in case it was contacts, right? right. So we, we kind of stayed away. So we know that the business can function day to day because we can do a lot of the administration stuff from here. Yeah. Absolutely. So that wouldn't be the, the worst thing, but the, the, I mean, to me, I don't know how you can possibly peak for worlds when you can't probably can't train for the last 11 days. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's a tough one. Unless you go get your last session in and then head to the airport and then go and just like pray that yeah. you don't uh, don't detrain in 10 days. Yeah. And to, to do it for the first time going to Worlds too, right? Like Yeah. Yeah. And what do you think about like so the roster is going to be drastically affected if it does happen, right? Like so Belarus was canceled, right? Belarus is canceled. Bench right. Worlds I think is canceled. But before um, Belarus was canceled, the nominations got to the point where they were final. I think so. Yeah, they, I think they finalized and then they canceled it basically. Yeah, and those nominations were like five Tiny. countries. Yeah, six yeah. countries. Yeah, there wasn't much. So, so I, I, yeah, I, I don't. I have to assume the same. Like I know USA already said they're not going to mm-hmm. Norway. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if any other countries have said that yet. I don't believe so. Not that I know of, at least. Um, but I, I don't know. It's just a matter of time. Like, I think um, as we see cases, I, and I think there's going to be a bit of a new wave here. Or mm-hmm. I, I hope there's not. But you know, in Saskatchewan, we're having a bit of a onslaught of of cases. So mm-hmm. uh, mostly linked to uh, what we'll call communal living. Because mm-hmm. I'm not allowed to say um, the other word anymore, apparently. Because oh, okay. There's, there's trouble with uh, the the HUD rates in Manitoba actually sued or threatened to sue the provincial government for basically saying there's outbreaks in HUD rate colonies, singling uh, them out and causing a discrimination, basically. Okay. So, um, but that's where the big outbreaks are happening right now. Uh, right. So, but I mean, that's spread to cities because, you know, they come to cities to go to um, stores and whatnot. So, farmers markets. So, it's, mm-hmm. I think we're having, you know, we have the most cases we've ever had. Uh, yeah, we had our. I think I heard that two days ago. I think, or two weeks ago, we had our highest day ever for new cases. And so I, you know, I, I just i I hope everything just cools down and and hey, everything's great by no- November. But I don't really foresee that. Yeah. So I I don't know. I, long story short, I hope nationals happens. I guess. But yeah, yeah, I, I mean, think I'm kind of on that same page. It's not like. I don't foresee the world being drastically different by, by March. Mm-hmm. I don't know how it possibly could be. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't think this is something that's just going to like go away and then we're going to go back totally back to normal. You know, like there doesn't, doesn't seem like there's been any major technological or, or medicinal breakthroughs uh, in that kind of industry or anything like that, or anything that's like on the cusp that people are excited about. So, right. I mean, it's probably going to be a pretty real thing that we're going to have to deal with ebbs and flows of for some time so yeah. I, I think things will be different but yeah i think i'm on i think i'm on uh on the same page of just kind of hoping that you know hopefully by nationals we've got some some systems and rules and these kinds of things in place like it'll be interesting to see how provincials goes and if provincials happens here in calgary even uh, i'm not not totally holding out hope uh, yeah. that you know, cases on the rise here as well won't cause legislation to kind of shift in right. terms of what they're allowing for gatherings and those kinds of things, which, you know, obviously provincials would be affected by. Um, 
like when I signed up, there were four or five pages of things you had to agree to in terms of everybody's going to wear a mask at all times. Um, you know, everything is going to get wiped down between sessions or between flights or between disciplines. Um, three people to a platform in the back, social distance at all time, bring your own pen for weigh-ins. Um, they're not going to use attempt cards. It's going to be like verbal communication. Um, and just like a whole, whole slew of things like that. So, I mean, I think that, you know, they're doing everything they can. We'll just see if they're, if we're still allowed to gather in that size by, you know, seven or eight weeks from now. Well, and we're hosting, like we're supposed to be hosting Saskatchewan Provincials. So we, you know, even a few weeks ago we were talking like, well, okay, do you do it over three or four days? Um, you run like a fifth or like a 20 person session and each person can have like one handler because uh-huh. at the time, like we had, I think, I think it may still is in Saskatchewan, like a 50 person gather limit. So, okay. So then you have 10 volunteers amongst your spotters, loaders, referees. So you can have a total of 40 athletes and coaches. So do you run like two sessions or three sessions a day of this limit with enough of a gap in between to clean everything, get everyone out with mm-hmm. no audience. I mean, I'm not a showman. Like that's, that's <laughs> certainly not why I'm in the sport to stand in front of people in a tight suit, but I, it's uh, being experienced to lift in, in front of an empty auditorium. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's another thing that we're, we're looking at doing or that we are, you know, as of now that, uh, that we are doing uh, at provincials, there'll be no spectators. So right. Yeah, I hadn't really put much thought into that specific aspect of it, but it'll be interesting. It'll be we interesting. You should get like uh, get like some beef footage of like uh, like football crowds, like yeah. and just have them on like big TVs in the audience. Do the, cut- do the cutouts or like <laughs> yeah. you know little screens the, with the people's faces waving on them. arm guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rent a bunch of iPads and just have people FaceTime yeah. into the venue, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. So. I, yeah, it's going to be interesting, and, and like we're hoping, we're still hoping to to put out provincials on, whatever that might look like. Um, I think we've just delayed it now. It was supposed to be the same weekend as yours, right? But we're going to push it back maybe to Novemberish, and That's hope fair. that things have settled down and cooled down. And I maybe, don't know, maybe push it back to the the weekend that uh, the worlds was supposed to be. That's what I suggested to Rhea. <laughs> yeah. She didn't like my suggestion, though. <laughs> yeah, we'll see how kind of all that stuff goes, right? Yeah. Well, do you want to dive into some of these questions we got? Yeah, let's do it, man. Let's do it. Cool. First one, uh, when getting wrapped really tight, what do you think about to distract yourself? I feel like that's kind of a weird question. Like, it's uh, it's not really something for me that I've ever really distracted myself from i I think it's a very this is what's happening right now kind of thing and you just kind of learn to i don't know deal with compartmentalize whatever you want to call it you just like you suffer well and then Mm -hmm. you understand that that's part of the process and like like ryan always says it's like ammonia light you know it's it's like another version of ammonia to help you get you more present and more Mm -hmm. focused on on the task at hand so i don't know what was your thoughts about or what are what are your thoughts about that question yeah I, I was trying to think and if i've ever distracted myself and usually no it's just 
like you said, it, I, I, I think of it as like part of the hype up to the squat, right? Mm-hmm. That's when your heart rate starts to elevate and that's when, you know, um, hopefully someone else is wrapping you. So you're not really, your heart rate's not really elevating because you're really elevating. Yeah. yeah. Um, but usually, you know, I have music on at a meet and so I'm kind of in my own head and listening to music and the pain is kind of like, ex- uh, like, uh, increasing and kind of getting me ready to go out, but I don't really distract myself from it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. You just embrace it. You got to embrace yeah. the embrace the the feeling, and because uh, if you can't stand it while it's happening, you, I don't know how you're going to do it while you're on the platform. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just you, it's it's like a it's like a really cringy early two thousands uh, like new metal song that I can only imagine is probably entitled "Embrace the pa- the Pain," uh, and it's just like that's your theme song. You know, you just kind of got to live it. Yeah. And I think, I mean, obviously when you're new, it's, it's much worse. Like it's yeah, hard to, absolutely. it's hard to, but even still like when I'm rapping Rhea and she's been doing this for you know 17 years, like, yeah, like, you know, it hurts her and I can, I can hear when I, but like to me as a rapper, I'm like, yep, that's what I want. Like, no, exactly. exactly. I, I definitely want you to be discom- in, in, in discomfort with this because yeah. that that's going to work. So when I was working with, with Ben, and I don't know if you met Ben or you know Ben Kozir, the guy who was wrapping my knees uh, at Nationals. That was the first time I've ever kind of worked with somebody as a rapper that came out and like, so he he, he was coming in and wrapping me throughout the training cycle uh, and then wrapped me at the meet. And it was more or less that I was I was very much seeking that out and like, you, no, no, like it, it needs to be tighter. This doesn't hurt enough. So when he wrapped it tight enough that it was more painful, it was one of those things like, okay, now, now we're getting there. Now this is a good wrap. And I was able to kind of use that as a proxy for, you know, how properly or appropriately tight the wraps were. So I think it's one of those things where you learn that when it hurts more, you're probably getting a better wrap to a point anyways. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, work your way up to that, to that feeling and you just kind of learn to, to appreciate it. I do remember in 2013 in Norway, um, Ray wrapped my first two attempts and, uh, Mike Zawalinski, I don't know if you know, big Mike from the mm-hmm. U S mm-hmm. um, he was like, Hey, I'm here. If you need help, just let me know. Um, I'd compete against him in, uh, I think Florida that year at uh, North American. So we kind of knew each other a little bit and uh, he's like, if you want me to wrap you, just let me know. And after my second attempt, like Ray is like, yeah, well, let's get Mike to wrap you. And it was such an extreme jump from what had happened, like what Ray had wrapped me and, and stuff that it was so much tighter that I, I still remember how much that almost distracted me from the squat, right. of how bad the, the knee wraps hurt. Right. So, um, I mean, I definitely understand, but yeah, you just have to like, you gotta live with it. You gotta, you gotta take the. So here's a, here's a bit of a different take and it piggybacks off of what you just said, but maybe the distraction is the lift. Like maybe the distraction is the fact that you're going to squat. So, you know, I don't know if there's anything that you can do while you're getting wrapped, but throughout the rest of the process, you're way more focused on that lift than you are on any of the pain. So 
I think that the lift in and of itself is kind of inherently a distraction. Right. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. I'm usually paying attention to timing and stuff too. Like, oh crap, are we going too fast? Are we going too slow? Like, oh man. <laughs> how how would that how that feel, Bryce? How would it feel to go way too slow? <laughs> I don't even want to. I don't know if I can go back there. I got some PTSD. <laughs> 390. Never loading 390 again, man. That's yeah, the, that curse, the cursed weight. Yeah. So this next question is kind of interesting. Somebody said they were thinking about getting into a shirt, but would be in the same weight class as Rhea. Is it even worth it? Um, so I won't say who this was, and I don't know if it was said as a joke, but I have heard this sentiment enough times uh, in both in regards to Rhea and other people. And right. I don't know, for the longest time I've done the sport, I've really only been competing against myself. I mean, it's all great to say like, hey, you get to a meet and you compete against someone else. That's good. It, it's just not what has always drive, driven me. Um, mm-hmm. For me, it's always been to be better than what I was yesterday. Um, and so to me, this question kind of rings funny because, uh, you know, I'm in a super heavyweight class and what's the point of me competing because Blaine benches 455 and Blaine squats 515. So why would I even do it? Um, yeah. So to me, I... I if you're doing it for the reasons of can I be the best in the world? Well, you certainly can't before you even tried it. <laughs> There's no way to know if you can be without having tried it. So I wouldn't ever use successful people as a demotivation. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think my initial reaction is to sarcastically say no. If there's any chance that anyone else will ever be better than you, just don't bother. Right. That's, <laughs> which, yeah. which like, really? <laughs> I mean, so that's, that's the alternative stance is either right. like, yes, like, why wouldn't you? Or no, if somebody's going to be better, let's just give up before we start, which I think is really almost impossible to defend that position when you actually kind of think about it and what that would mean if that's your, your stance on things. So, I mean, yeah, I I have a really hard time coming at that answer any other way than like, yes, obviously if you want to get into a bench shirt, regardless of who you are, how strong you are, what weight class you're in and who else might be in your weight class at the top levels, like do what you want to do. Yeah. And I mean, when Rhea started, she wasn't the best, Mm -hmm. right? So she started in the same place. Yeah. I'm still not the best. Don't know that I ever will be. I enjoy competing with the best. So for me, that's, that's a, that's a thing. Like I I was saying about provincials, it's like, I, a lot of what drives me and a lot of what I enjoy the most and feel the most rewarded by is competing against the best. So to get to a successful level is an important thing. But again, like I wasn't the best when I started. There were people better than me when I started. There are people better than me now. Uh, and some by a substantial margin. It, mm. Yeah, I think it's, uh, you're making a mistake if you're using those kinds of things to demotivate you. I think, I think you, you very aptly said. That, that, that said, I, I hope the question is sarcastic and not, and not a serious question. I, I, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Obviously, um, no, no intention to insult the person asking the question, but no, yeah, 
do do what you want to do because you want to do it. Exactly. Assuming you're not hurting someone else. And in this context, get a venture if you want to get a venture. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> There's no purges here or anything like. <laughs> yeah. Important distinction. Good catch yeah. there. Uh, next question is training alone or with training partner. And I don't know if this is, is, I don't know if the question is, is it better to train alone or is it required? Or I don't know. Um, <laughs> for me, if I just take the question as is, yeah. uh, it's, it varies by the day. There's yeah. some days where I want to go in and I just want to train by myself and I want to get through my work and be done. Mm -hmm. There's other days when it's the other people being there that gets me there and gets me through my workout. Um, yeah. I think if I had to train alone every day, I think it would, it would really drain me eventually. Um, but I can vouch for that, but certainly because so often when training, like, you know, I try to do a set and then I go spot this person, then this person, then this person, then this person. And then, oh, that first person's starting to do a set, but I haven't got my set in yet. So, right, like, it, it, for me, it, the training with other people definitely lengthens my workouts significantly. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, it's, uh, there's definitely times where I'd rather just go in, especially when I have a quick workout, that I go in, bang it out, be done, um, and just turn on, like, loud music and get through it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, I think for me, it's probably a lot of the same in terms of the, the actual answer being it, it depends. Um, I have noticed, so for me, like training in the, in the basement has been like, it was really cool and fun and novel for a long time. Um, especially when training was going really well, but then all of a sudden when training's not going well, you can't just like distract yourself by talking smack with your buddies or making jokes about stuff or, you know, whatever sort of distractionary tactics you use to try to minimize the fact that you feel terrible about performing poorly. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that was an interesting moment to try to deal with in a very different way than usual. Um, and I, I think, yeah, honestly, probably the best answer would be a mix. So having the ability to have those sessions, like you said, where you can kind of go in and just bang it out. And also having those, you know, big Saturday sessions or whatever day of the week it might be for the, like the crew where you can go in and everybody's hyping each other up and it's a big sort of communal social experience. Um, because I think those, those training sessions are very, very healthy too. Yeah. That said in equipment, I'd almost always prefer to have training partners. Yeah, absolutely. Like from just getting your straps up in even a deadlift suit mm -hmm. to, you know, safety with, with everything else, I think I would always pick training partners over no training partners in equipment. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's where equipment kind that. of breeds more community. Mm -hmm. And not to say that raw lifters don't have community, but because it's so much easier as a raw lifter to do your own thing at all times, mm -hmm. um, and you're not relying on people for like, yeah, even it's a, a bench. It's not a necessity. Yeah. I don't know how you get in a bench shirt and do your own handoff. That's just madness to me. Yeah. I don't know, man. <laughs> so, I don't know. I got yeah. pretty good at the raw handoff yep. during my, my block there. I'm pretty sure I self-fun racked 200 or, or 195 or very close to anyways. But I don't think I could self-fun rack like 275. 
Right. You know what I mean? That's just such a huge jump. Uh, and especially trying to maintain any kind of position. Like, I don't know. Anybody who self-handoffs their equipped benches, I have the utmost respect and admiration for. Yeah, for sure. Um, there's another question here. Best advice for a newbie getting into equipment? Uh, I think um, my best advice is uh, try to find some used equipment to start, obviously. Um, save yourself some money. Don't worry if it's the best thing out there. Like if you can get a regular Katana or, you know, even an old F6 or something, um, mm-hmm. do it. It's it's going to give you, you know, at least 80% of, of the experience of a comp super Katana, whatever. Yeah. Um, same with suits. Like if you can get a generation old Centurion or... Uh, something like that. I would. Yeah. So what I would always avoid doing would be getting like an old Inzer Max DL or um, what was their? Oh, Hardcore was their squat suit because it's it's just different material and the material mm-hmm. reacts differently. So don't get a bolt or a blast or a, a EHPHD bench shirt. Like avoid <laughs> extra. High I don't even know ex- what a lot of this stuff is. <laughs> it's <laughs> the uh, so the initial shirt was the blast and then there was the. HD blast or no, HP maybe a high performance blast. Then there was the EHP HD, which was the extra high performance, heavy duty blast. <laughs> but wow. all of these shirts are uh, like a stretchy material, totally different hard back. Um, even like the phenom, which was, uh, it just yep. still actually, uh, there's like a version of the phenom that's used in multiply. Like the super duper phenom. It's the called. super duper phenom. That's right. And I think it's like, two layers of phenom material plus a layer of like the rage x material so like don't look at that and go well i can get a regular phenom and and have the same experience because like that's just a different shirt than what we're what everyone's wearing nowadays so try to find used stuff that's um you know still been like one generation yeah yeah um a beat up piece of gear is still going to give you a lot of the experience if you tighten it up and stuff totally so um and i think my probably biggest piece of advice would also be just to like temper your expectations. So, uh, I I have a client right now who comes to mind and his first like three or four bench sessions. So he's, a probably, I don't know. We haven't tested his bench in a long time because we've been messing around with equip, but he's probably like a one sixty to one eighty bench presser somewhere in there. And, uh, he got into a shirt and his first few sessions, he was taking, you know, 190 to 200. And then he loaded up like 210. I think he had 220 on the bar at one point. And he was only able to get it down to like a two board. And I, I told him, I was like, man, I bet you can touch 200. Like, I don't know that adding more weight is always the way to bring the bar down. Sometimes it's learning to use the shirt and learning to bring the bar down. And we had a bit of a conversation about that. And then just the other day, he touched 200. So uh, I think a lot of people look at what lifters like Blaine or, you know, whoever get out of their equipment. And they're like, oh, you basically just need to load it up. Like, you just need to put more weight on it. And if I'm not getting like 170% out of this piece of equipment, then it's not doing anything. Yeah. When in actuality, especially as a beginner, you're probably going to be using like 90% to 95% for a lot of your training sessions in your equipment, like 90 to 95% of your raw maxes. 
for the first, I don't know, six months at least, there's nothing wrong with that. Cause that's when you're going to learn the equipment, learn the groove. And like, you know, that's probably more 90 to 95% work than you could have handled raw or that would have been feasible raw for whatever reason. So yeah, I think there's a difference in sort of where you start and where you end up seeing people being able to perform with the equipment. Yeah. And I think, um, going back to your lifter, the, the more weight you put on, the tighter you get, right? The more mm -hmm. tense you get and the less you move the bar because you're just resisting it more. I think, especially as a newer lifter, um, I see this with, uh, some lifters at our gym and, uh, working single or whatever gets to a one board or a one and a half board and then drop backs 20 kilos lighter yeah. are suddenly touching the chest, right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Cause you're confident you're moving it better and you're learning the groove, right? Yeah. So yeah, definitely uh, more weight is not always the right answer. When you get to a certain point and you know the gear so well, you kind of learn that feeling, right? Am I resisting it or is it just the, the shirt resisting it? Yeah. Um, By that point you're in the warm up room and you know that if you take, you know, 220 to a two board, you're good to go out and open at 245. Yeah. Kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like it, it just takes that experience. And you, you make a really good point and I've seen it so many times, especially when you use reps and gear. Um <laughs> where people will be doing like you said back off work and reps four and five of their back off set of of reps in full kit with you know 10 percent or more less weight uh and they're all of a sudden hitting depth or all of a sudden getting closer than they were to the chest and their top singles so it, there's definitely something uh you know, something to be learned in terms of how I utilize the equipment as opposed to just loading it up to like mm -hmm. touch and get depth. And it doesn't have to be sets of five. It's okay. That's not, <laughs> that's not you. That's okay. twos and threes. Totally fine. Yeah. Um, beyond that, a, a noob, ask questions, like mm -hmm. reach out to lifters, ask questions by and large. I have not met a lifter. That's an asshole. By and large, uh, there's, would... there's the odd person out there who's still hasn't been humbled enough by the weight. Sure. But, uh, most people are extremely nice and helpful. And yeah, so, yeah, I think my echo or my, my experience would echo, would echo that as well. And I mean, I've been around the sport for whatever half the time you have, but, uh, I still think, yeah, I've been fortunate enough to be able to travel and meet a lot of people through through seminars and and uh things like that too and it's just yeah very very few and far between that you would ever even get like a bad interaction with yeah. and a bad interaction doesn't make a person a dick either so no that person can have a bad day right yeah. the the weight humbles us all eventually so mm -hmm. yeah and you'd be surprised what kind of stuff people are willing to share like we also haven't had somebody on the podcast where we get into gearhead and they're like, uh, I'm not going to talk about that. Well, maybe, maybe Blaine. I was going to say, other than maybe Blaine. Blaine has his secrets and Blaine he'll take those secrets. to the grave. But yeah. Uh, yeah, like I don't think even, I think at one point I was messaging with, with Alexander Rubitz and asking him about his suit sizes and shirt sizes and stuff like that. And he's just like super open about it and has no issue sharing that kind of stuff. Um, you know, despite the fact that I was, in his weight class as a competitor, mm -hmm. you know, 
So, so uh, what music has been on your training playlist? Uh, and I feel like you live more in music than I do. So, I mean, I do, but a lot of the times lately, it's been like podcasts and stuff that I've been listening to more than anything. Hardcore um, history. Hardcore history, Dan Dan Carlin, right? I, I actually don't listen to that, but it just seemed like a, pl- a, pl- a playlist for lifting too. That is that is a great podcast. I listen to. He's got like an eight part series on World War One, and I think I listened to the first four or five episodes. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah, no, I I listen to a lot of that kind of like uh, revisionist history, um, Freakonomics, um, that kind of stuff, but not not training. I don't know. That seems. But usually, I'm training with groups, so. Right. You know, not everyone wants to listen to my podcast while we're training. <laughs> I could definitely see doing it while I'm training alone, though. Yeah. Um, there have been a few albums recently I probably would have been listening to if I was training heavy or in equipment. Um, Gojira just put out a new song. Zubalba has a new album out that's really good. Uh, the Acacia Strain's new album's got some good songs. Wake, the band from Calgary. Very, very good. And a lot of Alcest. And that's probably, yeah, that's a decent little list there. I have never heard of any of those bands. Anyways, if you're into metal. Yeah. Um, for me, I'm uh, kind of at the whim of other people. So we mm-hmm. keep a pretty generic playlist. Um, my go-to song well, for my... Make them listen to your preferences no, no? Uh, well lots of times it's on my lifting playlist but it's pretty generic mm. so i will say that for a lot of years my um go-to third attempt song was um can't hold us by macklemore and uh my current song is elevate by uh, dj khaled so those are those are a couple that i i throw on i'm not much of a real heavy guy mm-hmm. i'd rather like an emotional response from music sort of thing Totally. That's yeah. that's kind of what I go for. So, yeah. Now this is an an interesting one, and I'm I'm excited to hear your take on this. But would you would you compete in multiply? I mean, I've definitely thought about it. Um, you know, uh, we have access to Inzer gear, obviously, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, at one point I told Ray like. Oh, we should just we should just order. I should, I want to order a Leviathan. Uh, I think they're the Pro Leviathan or the new one, whatever with the the side the, yeah, strings, yeah, whatever. Yeah, I'm like I just want to get one and see what happens. It's like the corset action kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, so like I've definitely considered it, but I don't know. Like I not we're not set up for it. We don't have a monolift, um, mm-hmm. and I don't foresee walking out with extra weight in a stiffer suit to be super fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so don't be wrong like i think it'd be fun to play around with but i just i've never made the time for it i guess and and for so much of my lifting career there was really not a presence of of uh multiply in saskatchewan right so we'd have we would have had to have gone to like alberta to, to compete in any way yeah so now there's more of a, a gpc scene here in saskatchewan so it would be a little yeah. different but yeah i don't know it just never became a priority for me but it's definitely always interested me a little bit mm-hmm yeah, I think my I think I'd I'd answer similarly. Um, I actually did a a podcast with this guy Anthony Oliviera, I believe is his name. He does the the trigger warning conjugate podcast or something like that. Um, but had a great chat with him, and he was he was very much of the same kind of. I think the idea there was that we had a lot more 
commonalities than than uh, contention points with both training philosophy and you know sort of why we do this. Um, and I think a lot of those lines between single ply and multiply are in in some ways meaningfully and in some ways sort of arbitrarily drawn. You know, uh, just in terms of you know drug testing usually being a part of single ply and usually not being a part of multiply. Uh, I think is a point of contention for a lot of people, but you know, at the end of the day, you just do what you want to do, and I don't really care as long as you do it in the right place. Yeah. Uh, so to get back to it, I I would absolutely mess around with some multiply if uh, you know if I walked into the gym one day and uh, Andrew was like, oh, we got a monolift again, <laughs> and there was you know a few people there who were like, hey, we have all this stuff in your size. Do you want to try it? I would probably say like, okay, sweet, you know, provided I'm not in the midst of training for a high priority meet. Absolutely. I would hop into it, give it a shot. And uh, maybe that would be something really fun to do. I, I definitely have no preconceived notion of like, I'd never compete in that crap. Kind of like yeah. not a chance. That's not my mentality. So I, I sure would love a two and a half or a three meter wrap though. Uh, you know, and that's another weird thing that uh, I had never experienced. Speaking of someone who gets like, you know, and especially in the new like in atomics, I get maybe five revolutions on my knees. I sure really? would love an extra, an extra couple revolutions there. So yeah, an extra two or three probably go a long ways there. Yeah. So no, definitely nothing against multiply. Um, honestly, when I started lifting, the only information out there was multiply. It was all West Side Metal Militia. Yeah. So no, I, I have nothing against it. Um, just never been what I was around. I, th I think if I had started in a gym that was multiply, that's what I would be doing probably. Yeah. So. Things might be totally different. Ryan so. have head tattoos and yeah, well, maybe I do. Maybe I do. <laughs> <laughs> They're just like you like black light sensitive or something. Yeah, exactly. With that yeah. Cool ink when it was around for a minute in like 2007 yeah. and all the cancer that probably comes along with that. <laughs> yeah. It was experimental at best. I think, <laughs> uh, um, so this is a good question. Somebody asked if, uh, about your first time in equipment and how did it go? Can you can you remember any of that experience? I'm imagining so. Seems like a pretty so something I can't remember. I uh, the two things I remember is I remember getting like a size 54 Fury for mm -hmm. my best first bench shirt, and my first rep with it, I remember almost blacking out at the bottom. I remember the 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 blackness coming as a circle towards the center of my vision. I mean, yeah. like, holy crap, get this off of me. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> uh, the other thing I remember is my first suit, which was a Titan Superior, maybe it was called. It wasn't a Centurion. I didn't. I was like, oh, I don't need a Centurion yet, so I got a Superior. I think it was called. Right. Maybe still yeah. is called. Um, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I just like. I think I was squatting maybe 550 raw at the time, somewhere in that. And I was like, oh, I'm going to put this on squat 600. Like, no problem. Whatever. No no big deal. Um, and I'm pretty sure I squat less than I had before. And I think I came home and ordered a Centurion, like, almost immediately because yeah. I was so mad. I think I've um, heard that from a few people. So, yeah, that's, that's the two things I remember. Uh, I remember I didn't deadlift in a suit for a long time because... Every time I tried to pull on a suit, I couldn't lock out. I pulled to the top and I was stuck it before I locked out. Yeah. I was just stuck forward just perpetually. So, um, 
My very first time in any piece of equipment was a multiply deadlift suit. And it was only multiply because it had the Velcro shoulders. Uh, I think the rest of the material was single ply. But this was back when I was still a conventional deadlifter. And I remember doing the straps up, getting set up, kind of like setting my lats at the top and diving down and just getting stopped. <laughs> like I couldn't, I was like flailing my hands at the bar trying to reach it because I just couldn't without just completely abandoning all all position. Um, so I think I pulled a rep sumo that day and was like, oh, okay, I guess it's easier to get to the bar this way. Um, and then my first like real experience with equipment when I got my own squat was like, oh, okay, cool. This works. And it felt great. And I squatted, I don't know. Again, it was like in that 90 to 95% range. It was definitely not more than I had squatted raw. Uh, and then my, so my first bench shirt that I ever bought was a comp fit low cut super katana. That's a and, good, it's a good training uh, wheel shirt. Man. Oh, that thing was a nightmare. Uh, and I think that just, yeah. Uh, I, I was not a strong bencher at the time. I'm still not like an exceptionally strong bencher for my weight class. And I think that was just like really exaggerated or exacerbated by using a, an extremely like, I don't even know what the word would be. Like it's very tough. It's very demanding. It's a technical shirt. It's uh, and it's just not for some people, you know, like we talked to Natalie and I think she still uses an F six. Yeah. Uh, and has used a low cut super K and is like, nope. So, well, Blaine doesn't use a low cut, right? That's Blaine, true. Blaine doesn't like that's them. True. Rhea doesn't use them. Yeah. She's tried over and over again and never had any success. Um, yeah. even myself, you, I, I've had some success with low cuts, but, um, I what found you, that. What did you bench your three thirty with there? Just a super K. Really? Just okay. A, yeah. Um, the, uh, low cut. It's like five or six weeks of not getting past a one board, basically. It just stopped dead there. Every time I try and break one in, that's what happens. And then eventually, like, finally get to your chest after, like, five or six weeks of frustration sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, definitely low cut is not for everybody. Uh, So don't think that that is the ultimate shirt, that you have to get to that shirt. I don't think that's the case. Yeah. For me, it was one of those things where... Yeah, like that set me off down the uh, the bench shirt journey, the bench shirt vision quest of just trying literally every different kind of shirt, straight sleeve, angled sleeve, super K, regular K, um, and eventually coming back around full circle to a low cut super K, which now I feel is just absolutely perfect for me. Right. Uh, but yeah, that was a that was a hellish experience trying to figure out bench shirts. So. Not only my first time, but my first like two years, I think, in equipment was just like, you know, I'll never live down opening raw in pills. And so that's true. That's true. <laughs> At least not in, in, uh, in Ryan's household. Wow. Because I, well, I know I... how I know how Rhea feels about him. <laughs> oh, it's it's always it's in the end. Uh, if you open raw and get a total certainly better than opening equipped and not getting a total so yeah yeah and i think that so in my defense that was also my world record deadlift so i kind of needed a total that day for sure it makes total sense (laughs) as much as she'll razz you for it it makes total sense (laughs) yeah yeah. Um, 
Yeah, go ahead. Uh, why might I get more butt wink in a squat suit? Well, I think that's the nature of the beast, honestly. Uh, I think that, you know, the, the suits are designed to create more tension uh, in, a, in a very sort of specific pattern. And that pattern is such that if you can hold your bracing and you can hold your position, it's going to cause the suit to deform and stretch and store elastic energy. And if you can't hold your position, uh, then the suit's going to maintain its it's not Length. going to perform. Yeah, it's 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 a uh, position, whatever you want to call it, uh, and force you to deform, and then you will not yeah. get a boost out of it or as much. Um, and I think there's some level of like acceptable sort of change in technique and equipment, and that's why people talk about needing to change technique and equipment, um, because to some extent, you know, the the suit is only going to deform so much before you know you might have to talk a little bit to get that last little bit of depth or you might have to lose some shoulder position to get that bar to your chest so there's a real give and take especially the the tighter the equipment is um so i mean if that's something that you're running into and it's to a point where you're missing lifts or you know running into excessive fatigue or your back's getting buggered from you know losing too much position you probably need to loosen your stuff up or get looser stuff. Yeah. I think, um, I was just talking to, uh, a lifter Jim this week who tried a squat suit on for the first time mm-hmm. and had this basically happening. So if you think about the, the way a suit is built, um, if you think about just the back panel of a suit, it's however long, say it's 40 inches long and it doesn't want to be longer than that. It's resisting that stretch. So if, you squat down uh, and it needs to stay that length while your butt is pushing into it. It's going to pull your butt forward unless you like the same thing. Same thing you said basically is if you don't make the suit deform, then, then you'll deform. So I think one thing I said is like when you start feeling your technique change and that hips coming forward, just stop going down and come back up at that point, you're not using enough weight or you're not rigid enough to, to resist mm-hmm. the suit forcing you to learn bad habits. Um, so I would say go as low as you can without losing technique before you come back up because no point in losing technique and going, well, geez, if I just hunch over and, and let my hips yeah. come forward, I can get yeah. depth. Great. That's yeah. just what I want to do with a max squat. Yeah. So um, if you're having that issue, pull the legs of the suit up. Uh, you can pull them about an inch, especially in the back of the hamstring. Mm-hmm. Uh, that'll give you that extra length of the suit and probably make it a little easier to get depth without losing that technical position. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's why you'll get butt wink is because the suit doesn't want to stretch and it wants you to stretch the form. Yeah. So, um, and if you have your straps taken in, uh, I feel like that's one of those, one of those, um, modifications of the suit where you start to interact with some of that. And if the straps are, are really aggressively taken in, I think that's probably going to increase the odds of this happening. Um, now, obviously, for some people, it's worth it to get that extra little bit out of the suit, and, and they're able to resist that sort of uh, deformation or loss of position. Um, but if you're in a suit and you know you have the straps taken in a lot, and this is happening, taking the straps out will probably help you. Um, and like Ryan said, you know, just going to a depth where you can maintain position and then coming back up, uh, and then you know maybe look at the footage and see, you know, is that depth anywhere close to depth? 
And if it's not, then you need to maybe get into some looser stuff. If you're close and you're kind of like in and around equipped training zone, which equipped training zone generally is going to be, you know, an inch to two inches high or, you know, in that ambiguous area. I think a lot of training squats and equipment are high, right? Like two to a, one, baby. Two to yeah. one. <laughs> and, and you get to the meet and you try to, you know, or you get to those loads just before the meet where you're able to actually get to depth. But I don't expect anybody to get absolute competition depth every time they're in their suit in the gym. It just right. doesn't happen. People don't yeah. even do that raw, yeah. you know? Uh, so it's just one of those things where you kind of got to realize, you know, can I get to depth in this suit? And if so, am I going to be in just a terrible position? Am I going to be able to stand back up? Yeah. It's the same idea with, with the deadlift, right? Uh, you can get to the bar, but have you sacrificed all of your position to do so? Mm -hmm. So, or bench, same thing, right? Rolling your shoulders forward or whatever, dumping the bar low. Yeah. <clears throat> Basically, you need to learn how to resist what the gear wants to do mm -hmm. and make it do what you want to do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I've I've cued people a lot in the past to try to, you know, just try to like maintain your raw technique. Almost, it's not yeah. it's not that your technique needs to change. It's that you almost need to like exaggerate the things that you'd normally cue yourself into because the suit's trying to like change that. Yeah, for sure. Um, do you think that, uh, powerlifting is becoming harder to be, uh, or sorry, do you think it's becoming harder to be a high achiever in powerlifting? Uh, and I'm guessing they mean competitively, like in terms of placements and records and those kinds of things. Uh, yeah. I mean, powerlifting is a sport and especially as a sport, it's become a lot more popular in the last eight years. Mm -hmm. Um, so certainly on the raw side of things, I would say, if you look at the totals that won Worlds in 2013 versus the total that won Worlds in 2019, you're going to see a huge increase. Mm -hmm. um, equipped, same thing to an extent. Uh, because it's been around longer, there was already outliers in most weight classes, but the weight yeah. classes changed in 2011, so that kind of reset the, the standards a bit. But, um, I mean, if I look at my first Worlds in 20, 2008, uh, I think... The winning total in super heavyweights was low thousand kilos. Like I want to say a thousand twenty ish, <clears throat> which would not even be in some years wouldn't even be top ten in, in now. Yeah. So um, certainly, I think there's ebbs and flows. Mm -hmm. um, even yourself included, the one hundred fives versus the one twenties versus yeah. the one twenties versus the one hundred fives the next year. <laughs> yeah. It's. Uh, you know, there's definitely weight classes that ebb and, ebb and flow with, with talent. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I would say as a sport, generally, yes, people are getting better. Every time they see that four-minute mile hit, they they chase that, that 345 mile. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think I'd, I'd, I'd agree wholeheartedly. You know, the depth of field is becoming deeper. And that means that, you know, you're – unless you're that outlier chances are you you're you've got like some downward mobility as the pack grows um and i think in equipped it's growing but i think you're also going to get those years like ryan said where it just like you know xyz person doesn't make it and then this other guy bombs and you know it's the difference between 
you know, uh, what was it, like seven 1,000 kilo plus totals the one year in 105 in 2017. And then, you know, seeing, I think it was like a 1,020 win in uh, in 2020. But those are, I think, those are like the outliers of the trend as well. Because I think the overall trend is very much upward in terms of the totals that are going to get you whatever position. But you're definitely going to have those years where, you know, if you're the lucky guy who shows up and you do your you do your thing, I mean, that's part of it, right? Not bombing and making it to the meet, not injured, is part of the sport. Yeah. And I think a lot of times people are like, oh, that guy just won because so-and-so bombed. And it's like, well, yeah, so-and-so lost then. Mm-hmm. You know, like bombing is losing. Right. Bombing is not a success. Like regardless of what they attempted or how strong they were in training, part of winning is just doing those things right, making it to the meet and getting your total in. So, right. you know, I just, a bit of a tangent, but I have heard people like discredit uh, lifters for winning when the field isn't as stacked or, you know, for whatever reason, you know, the bombs go off everywhere and stuff like that. And it's like, well, I mean, that person was the best lifter on the day and that's what the competition's about. Right. In the end, they don't hand the medal to the strongest person. They handle, mm-hmm. hand the medal to the person with the highest total. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's the point of the competition. You can say the same thing with any sport. Mm-hmm. And any day someone has a bad day playing baseball, basketball, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, that athlete doesn't perform for whatever reason and, and someone else does. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think that that's the nature of sport and that's what kind of makes it interesting. Um, yeah. you know, I placed my best placing at worlds is fourth in 2014. Um, do I consider myself a top five super heavyweight because of that? No, but that's what happened that day. There was a couple bombs. There was a, you know, a drug test failure and, and yeah, that's how it worked. So, uh, you know, uh, it's what happens and, and that's what happened that day. And that's, and that's the, the whole story. So, yeah. Any unexpected benefits of equipped that carry over to raw? Um, I, yeah. I guess, uh, I don't know. What are your I think thoughts I found, on that? I found some of that with my bench a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not sure, obviously causation versus correlation is pretty tough to pick out when we're talking about training stimulus and response, but it was around the time that I got into my bench shirt that my bench kind of started on the uptick a little bit. So for me, there may have been some benefits to overload, um, I've always had success using things like the the RAM and, you know, banded bench and some of that kind of stuff, focusing more on the top end. But I think that's more of like an individual response than it is, okay, if you do bench shirt, your raw bench will go up. Um, and maybe a little bit with, you know, deadlift positioning, again, because I think you really have to exaggerate it to maintain it or to create it in the suit. So for me... That was kind of a good reinforcement lesson of, okay, I really need to focus on these two or three cues because if I don't, the deadlift suit's going to wreck me. Um, and then, oh, if if I also put that emphasis on these raw, it's the same thing I'm trying to do without the suit. Yeah. Like the one thing I would say um, going to like squats is just the level of bracing and tightness and total upper body rigidity 
that I have to attempt to create in a suit definitely changes your perspective in raw, right? If you, if you uh, walk up to every single raw lift with that sort of intention, right? They, they, it feels so much better. Yeah. I, I think so many people walk up to their raw lifts or I won't say that, but other warmups at least like with, without the kind of intention that you need for that sort of rigidity. And I think that that definitely can carry over, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good one. Plus the scars are pretty awesome. <laughs> so it looks cool. Yeah, it looks cool. Looks Which cool. benefits your raw lifting. I believe yeah. raw lifting is in large part about looking cool. So. That's right. If only you could deadlift without a shirt on so people could see your bench shirt marks still. Yeah. Yeah. You just got to get those. Uh, uh, what are those shirts? The uh, erector or whatever. Sleeveless it's erectors. Yeah. 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 Like but those um, are a Mishinkov. nightmare to put on. Mashinkov always wears one. Yeah. So does uh, um, Oleg. Oh, does he? Yeah. Yeah, those guys are pretty jacked, though. I don't know yeah. if it would, I don't know if I'd be able to pull it off in the same. <laughs> yeah, I definitely couldn't. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, if you could design a piece of equipment for a fourth lift, what lift would it be, and how would it work? Well, I've already done this, so really, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, not really. Uh, in t- <laughs> Uh, I'm so glad we got this question. A long time ago, we uh, figured out the proper way to wrap your elbows for a bicep curl, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) which which had to do with basically tethering the the wrap to your upper arm and then looping it down to your lower arm so that when you it stretched the wrap out, you know. So, so we did the first equipped bicep curls back in about 2006 or so. Oh my god, that's amazing! Yeah. And it makes your elbows feel way better. So I bet. I bet. Man, that's awesome. But if I had to pick a fourth lift, it would not be bicep curl. (laughs) That's not my forte for sure. Well, you don't know, though. You haven't really trained it equipped. That's true. That's true. Really really pushed the limits of (laughs) human capability here. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. If there was a fourth lift, what, what do you think it would be? I think it would have to be like an overhead press. I think that makes sense. Like I think I think uh, a fourth lift would almost necessarily be uh, an upper body lift, right? Because we've got two lower body lifts, one upper body lift. So I feel like if you're gonna add a fourth lift, upper body lift makes the most sense. And uh, an overhead press to me, I think, is probably the next most sort of complex and yeah. compound movement. Not like a barbell row or anything. Well, maybe that seems more like a bench or a, a, a powerlifting sort of thing. It's a like barbell a, bent over barbell row, like a max pendley row or something. Yeah, yeah. That'd be that could, that'd be that interesting. Be that'd be an interesting uh, uh, row shirt you'd have to put on. It, it would probably be a lot like the bicep curl shirt yeah. that you were talking about. Yeah. You just anchor it like kind of up behind the shoulder, maybe even. You walk out like this. <laughs> You'd have to get down, like touch your chest to the bar to get your hand yeah, off, yeah, and then hang back and yeah. load. You got to load the the shirt. <laughs> yeah, I think for so. What? How do you think an overhead press shirt would work? Well, you'd walk out obviously with your arms straight overhead because yeah, where your be shirt like, would put you. Kind of like up like this, right? So, so you'd have to be... kind of like squat down under the the barbell, 
yeah. and like load yourself under it. And then pick it up as it yeah. loads the shirt up. Yeah. yeah. Waddle out. <laughs> so it'd just be like the chest plate would be like on your Adam's apple. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it'd be good. Choking you and, out. And or like on your head. You just have to like brace your neck against the material. Yeah. Yeah. Not, my shoulders don't like the idea, but... <laughs> Yeah, I think even just like imitating the bench shirt was like, oh, I should put my arms down. <laughs> I'm getting nerve pain. <laughs> um, All right. Uh, how if for washing gear? You go ahead. I've never washed a piece of equipment. And when I was in uh, Texas, Titan just like took a, a piece and just like threw it in the wash. Yeah, you're it's a totally dirty person. You don't wash like your gear. Was, like it was no big deal. Uh, you and know, I was like, don't sweat enough. I was like, can you do that? And they were like, yes, of course you can. What's wrong with you? Yeah. Yeah. So we just wash ours in a washing machine. Um, and then just hang dry. Hang no, dry? no, no, hang dry. They dry super fast too. So if right, you just, like, we wash them gentle usually. Um, if you're really paranoid, get like one of those, um, like washer bags. Um, right. People uh, use like, like lingerie bags. Yeah. 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 Or lingerie. Yeah. We just throw, yeah, all my lingerie. Uh, <laughs> don't judge. Uh, we just, but we just throw ours right in the washing machine. Um, and uh, I, I know um, back in the day, Jeff Butt, our, the guy that kind of got us all into the sport, was always like, you have to use a, a dark clothes wash, like uh, laundry detergent. And I don't know why he thought that. I don't know what exactly it was supposed to do, but it was always, you had to wear like a, you had to use like a dark clothing. Um, uh, washing liquid. So, well, I know. Titan I know, I know Titan like has power, power wash. wash. Yeah, yeah. And um, I think that's supposed to like help restore some of the elasticity or like something like that. I don't know if there's yeah. what the what the science is there, but I, I you know, I I know some people who wash their gear after every use, though. Really? So uh, we usually, I, I usually, I should wash wear my wash, wash my stanky ass stuff. I guess is what yeah. I'm here. <laughs> we usually wash ours after. A meat, so you'll wear it your training cycle, yeah. then after the meat, wash it, sort of thing. Um, but no, it, no problem to wash it in regular and cold water, always cold water. Um, okay. cold water and uh, just hang dry, yeah, you'll be fine. What would happen if you put it in the dryer? Like, would it tighten it up? It, it could, I think. Uh, I, I don't see how not, it would really it's damage it. Cotton, it's polyester, so it's gonna be different, yeah, yeah, it's polyester, so heating up should actually restore its original form, I think. If I understand, you hate to be that guy that takes the risk and then is like, "Oh, I need a new bench shirt now." <laughs> yeah, you're probably too old for this, but when I was a kid, people used to put like chip bags in the oven at like a really high temperature, and they'd shrink right down. So that's kind of what I imagine. Are too young for this? Uh, too young for it. Sorry, um, I'm too chip old for this. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I have a vague memory of this, and I don't know what they're made of, but you take these, these giant chip bags, put them in the oven, they shrink down these little tiny little chip bags, and it was funny i guess i don't know but i remember this that's that's what i imagined pulling it it's like gi joe's in the microwave kind of thing oh man i don't know that doesn't sound good at all <laughs> i don't sounds think like a, it ever was sounds like a puddle of a puddle I don't of plastic think it ever was a good thing yeah uh what about tips for your first meet probably go hand in hand with my tips for uh, a newbie getting into equipment which is to temper your expectations uh yeah. i think the goals for a first equipped powerlifting meet should be to try to hit as many lifts as you can and not miss. Yeah. So try to find weights that you can get to depth that you can hold on your chest for a second before a pause that you can, 
you know, reliably do uh, fulfill the conditions of, of competition with. Yeah. I'll just say there's no shame in doing your first meet with just knee wraps and a bench shirt or mm-hmm. knee wraps, bench shirts, deadlift suit. Like, you know, you don't have to go full All kit. Out. Yeah. You know, just to, to, you know, test the waters with. Um, I would definitely recommend having someone semi experienced with you or ask questions again, especially because timing is such a big thing, especially for squats. Um, how many people you start wrapping before? Don't, don't wrap your knees at like seven or eight people. That is, that is too many people. <laughs> way too many. Yeah. And don't start wrapping when they call your name because that's not enough people. <laughs> that's way too late. Um, I would totally recommend um, timing things. Yeah, time uh, start your time when you start your warm-ups to when you're ready for your opener. So mm-hmm. you know that it takes you 45 minutes to do that. So that you're not starting to warm up 20 minutes out and you don't have enough time. Or yeah. start timing how long it takes you to start your knee wraps and then have your second strap up. So you know that's a big one. That's yeah. two and a half minutes. And you can start your timing your loaders. Yeah, yeah, and your straps. Don't forget those. <laughs> Although you could wrap those at the same while someone's wrapping you. If someone's wrapping your knees, right, right, right. Uh, or you could ditch them. Ditch them. Ditch the rip straps. <laughs> um, the uh, so when you have that time for your knee wrapping, then you can time the spotters and loaders. Yeah. So how long does it take to get to through three lifters? Okay, that's how long I need. I need to start three lifters out to start wrapping my knees. It's it's might seem silly, but you know, spotter loaders are fairly consistent once they get going. Mm-hmm. Besides major changes, uh, or the and I wouldn't hitting the floor or something for sure. And I yeah. wouldn't time the first half a dozen lifts because of the fact that they're going to be getting up to speed. Yeah. Unless they're a really experienced crew, they're not going to be at their speed at that point. Yeah. So. Yeah, just use some use some timing to to learn how long things take. Yeah, and I think you can even in in most cases make some generalizations, right? Like most people, I think, start wrapping about what two lifters out, two and a half, three lifters out, yeah. somewhere in that range. Yeah, uh, and that should provide you enough time to get, you know, a, a knee wrap takes about a minute, I think, for most people, at most. If you yeah. allot for a minute per wrap and then 30 seconds to a minute to get your belt and straps and wrist straps, you know, that gets you out there around the time you're getting called or shortly after. Now, yeah. you might not want to take timing advice from me because that's something that I've <laughs> famously and publicly messed up a few times. Um, but hey, we if get everyone our does. Right? Everyone yeah. does. And that's the other thing. Don't uh, try not to get too shook if you mess something up. Um, when I was wrapping for my second, at nationals yeah my second 390 at nationals uh i got the i got the bars loaded call i think halfway through my first knee wrap so again it was really tight um and i had already kind of accepted in my head i was like okay we're just not taking this one and i was like calming back down and getting ready to move on um and i think that was a sign of more experience than i had at nationals two years before that when I wrapped my knees eight minutes too early and was numb for my first attempt and like just about fell over with my opener and like I'm an experienced lifter. I've been doing this for, you know, close to a decade now and I'm still making mistakes. 
yeah, I've been equipped lifting for only three years now. Um, but you know, you would think a lot of that experience would carry over and it does, but you can also expect that you're probably going to mess something up at some point. The important thing is how well you can handle that and how to like not get too shook when you do make those mistakes, especially if you're in a competitive setting. Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes really good sense. Um, I would say for a new lifter, be early rather than be late, mm-hmm. right? Make Definitely. sure you give yourself an extra lifter and, uh, yeah, yeah you can just, stand in your wraps for a especially minute, a new lifter. I'm guessing they're not going to be that tight of wraps, but you can't stand in your wraps for like four or five minutes comfortably. You, well, I hope you should, if you can, <laughs> you may need to tighten your knee wraps up. Yeah. So, um, bench shirt considerations for long armed lifters. I actually have a good sort of experiential story, uh, with this one. And not because I have like crazy long arms, but Dylan, who I know Ryan, you've met a few times. And for anybody listening who doesn't know Dylan, uh, he's the guy who films all of our Calgary barbell content and is, uh, you know, my business partner in Calgary barbell. So he's six foot six and, uh, he's a very long, very tall, very lanky guy, uh, less lanky now. I shouldn't throw him under the bus like that, but he, uh, he got <laughs> I think, into a I think when you're six foot six, you're pretty much lanky until you're about 300 pounds though. Yeah. Yeah. So he's a little, little on the lanky side. Um, and we got him into a bench shirt and he was having a lot of fun with it, but I think he, in the end, just couldn't get past the fact that because his arms were so long, just measuring his chest was not a good proxy for the chest plate size he needed. He needed, uh, probably two sizes up in his chest plate from the measurement, uh, in order to get anywhere close to a touch. And then he would need to just like take in the sleeves uh, a bit, a bit. But I think, yeah, definitely, you know, if you're really long armed, I would maybe think about ordering a size up in the chest plate from what you, uh, what you would think based on measurements of the chest. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, when you have to think about the way the shirt works, like if you pin the shirt near your elbow, that's going to be so much further away from your chest panel than someone who's, equally sized chest but a foot shorter than you yeah um, i think uh yeah I, I i don't have a good answer because i'm not a long arm lifter um i do help my sister who i would consider a fairly long arm lifter um and she's you know had more success in like a straight sleeve shirt than an mm-hmm. angled sleeve shirt okay um i think uh, you have to experiment though if you're a long arm lifter do your best to learn to arch yeah, but don't give up on the fact that you can't be a good bencher because Jen Thompson is a long arm lifter mm-hmm. and she benches a truckload. So, yeah, yeah. she's yeah. <laughs> if a long arm lifter is one of the bench pressers in the world, you can do it, too. Yeah, exactly. So experiment, try out different things, try out shirts that maybe you don't think are are going to be right. Maybe a straight sleeve, maybe an angled sleeve. Maybe going back to a stretchier, like a Fury or an F6. Yeah. Uh, something that gives you a little more uh, ease. Uh, maybe even try a Rage X if you get your hands on one. I find them a little more forgiving of a shirt than a Katana. Um, try shirts that aren't the meta. Yeah. Yeah, you're not the template build. So yeah. try something that's outside of the uh, stock power template. 
Yeah, I think that's actually a really good point, Ryan. Is is for anybody looking to get into equipment, if you're if you're trying to figure out what pieces of equipment might work best for you, try to find people with your proportions, and try to find people, uh, you know, by watching maybe some some live streams of worlds and stuff like that, and try to find people in your weight class that are about your height that have similar technique, and see what kind of stuff they're using. Yeah. Most of the time, like I said, you could probably even reach out to them on social media and say like, Hey, what do you use? What did you, what did you find worked with your bench shirt or whatever? I noticed you use this shirt. Uh, and most people are going to take the time to, you know, answer you and then love talking shop when it comes to powerlifting. So, uh, that's probably a good way for most people. If you have any kind of weird proportions or, or sorry, not weird proportions, but, uh, <laughs> if you're not just like a blocky kind of, uh, you know, standard template looking power lifter. Yeah. And All right, this, this last, one's for you. Uh, so I this think last you question was, yeah. for, was for me. Um, <laughs> so somebody asked if I support reps in full gear because I hate equipped lifters. And uh, I thought that was a really good question. I had, I, I'm not sure I have a great answer for it. There, it might be some kind of like, um, yeah, like I might just like not like myself very much and maybe that's why I find so much benefit in it. And maybe there's a part of me that enjoys just, just being a, a bit of a sadist with, uh, my lifters that I coach. But, uh, I think the big thing for me with the, the reps and equipment is that I love when people tell me I can't or shouldn't do something, but I can make it work. Like for some reason that just, I, I really enjoy that feeling of kind of being underestimated and being like, ha, I told you so I showed you. Uh, cause a lot of people, when I first started, were like, dude, what are you doing? Like, why are you doing a set of five with your straps up in wraps in your comp suit? Like you can't do that. And I was like, well, I don't know. I trust my coach. And that's all it was at that point. And then I started making a lot of progress and was like, actually, this seems to work pretty well. And I started playing around with it with athletes. Obviously I'm not going to just like dogmatically assume that everybody responds to the same thing as me, but, and I, I, in a lot of cases have a lot of success with that with other lifters too. So now it's one of those things that I don't know, maybe I like the fact that it's a little contentious. Maybe I like the fact that it's a, to me signifies some kind of like changing of the guard in terms of like the old guard of equipped powerlifting and feeling like there's some sort of revitalization or, or something like that. But I'm, I'm probably getting way too philosophical with all of this. Um, but yeah, I like your reps and gear and I like what it represents to me. <laughs> That's a good answer. <laughs> I think I think there's a little bit there. Uh, so first off, uh, I hate reps and gear. I uh, I don't like them. I don't like doing them. Uh, do I think they have a place in training? Yes, absolutely. Um, I don't like reps raw either. So let's just get that straight. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so some underlying information there. Um, I think especially for. Uh, someone learning gear uh, reps are very valuable to you know uh, intraset modify technique right oh I didn't sit back as much as I should have that rep let's try that you know it's way harder to do that when you've you strip off everything strip off your knee wraps and now oh, okay I'm gonna try it again this next set I gotta try and sit back a little more it's way easier to do it 
you know, set rep to rep, make this little modification. Oh, push my knees out a little harder. Oh, arch my back a little bit harder. Uh, I think it's, and you learn that, oh, that helps me get a little lower or I don't lose my upper back position or for bench, right? Like I really pull my elbows in, I get a little close to the chest, stuff like that. And so I think there's definitely a point to it. And like doing work generally makes you stronger, which is what this is all about. So, you know, uh, doing 10 singles is probably far more miserable than doing one single and three triples because I don't want to wrap my knees 10 times. Yeah. Um, so I can get, you know, more volume by doing some low reps in gear <laughs> and uh, get that that practice, especially when you're practicing stuff like, you know, when I squat, I do a little bit of a dip at the bottom, right? So practicing that rep to rep is is very helpful. You know, ooh, I, this, I, I think of equipped squatting and really a, lifting in general as modulating tightness and looseness. So my back has to be tight. My hips have to be a little loose, right? And how do I, how do I properly balance that? Um, so practicing that with reps is, is helpful. Yeah. I think it's also important and like worth noting that I'm not going to go to like Adam Ramsey and Natalie Hansen and be like, you guys need to do reps in gear. Otherwise you're not optimizing your training. Like, that's not what I'm out here trying to do. I'm just right. trying to present an alternative and, and, you know, like Ryan said, for a lot of people who are just beginning, which I think are a lot of people listening to this podcast, hopefully people who are just have sort of a budding interest in things. I guess part of what I'm trying to do is say like, Hey, there's a whole bunch of different ways to train out there. And I think that's why I like asking people about that reps and gear, because I think that specifically for a lot of people helps us get at more of their training philosophy and more of their training protocol or outlook or whatever. And I think in a lot of cases, highlighting those things can make for good discussion points. Yeah. I think, I think training and training modalities are big old pendulums and they swing back and forth between high specificity, low specificity, high volume, low volume, you know, and that said, just because the current trend says one thing does not mean that's what is right for you. Yeah. What probably happened is one strong lifter said, this is what I do. And then people started jumping on a bandwagon. Everybody and everyone started jumping outside. Yeah, exactly. So realize that just because, uh, it's the current popular thing, it may not be the proper way for you to train. Yeah. So, and that goes for both sides of it too. I think like, just because I say reps and gear is good. If you don't have success with it, you're not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like maybe that's not for you. Maybe you do better doing 10 singles. For sure. And maybe you just can't keep your technique or your position tight enough rep to rep in gear that you're exposing yourself to injury too easily or too frequently. Right. So sure. it's not worth it for you. Uh, now I would say, well, maybe that's something you can learn, uh, and, and improve, <laughs> And that would improve your lifting in general. But, you know, if it's, if currently it's causing you injury or, um, um, to regress in your progress, well then obviously it's not working for you. And right now it's not what you need to do. And, and maybe in two years it is, but for That's now it's thing. not. Yeah. A lot of the times the things that, uh, work only work for so long and the things that didn't work are the next thing that's going to work. Mm-hmm. Who knows? 
And that is all of our questions for today. So yeah. did we have any, any emailed in or anything like that? Uh, no, nothing I could find in emails or YouTubes or anything like that. Nothing I didn't right. address directly. So cool. Okay. Well, that's, uh, that's all the questions we got. So, um, yeah, hope everybody enjoyed it. If you have more questions for us, feel free to email them in or DM one of us on Instagram. You can email us at equippedbruisedtired at gmail.com. Uh, or if you're watching this on YouTube, you can just comment straight on there. So hope everybody has a wonderful week. And we'll be back in another couple with another episode of Equipped, Bruised, Tired. We'll see ya.